Well, greetings to all of my friends. Existing friends, new friends, and there's even some old friends in the house today. It's good to see. Hey, it's my privilege to present God's word to you today and know that it's it's an honor that I never take lightly. So this week we're going to pick up where Ross left off in our Summer on the Mount series by taking a look at portions of chapter 6 and chapter 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. Specifically, chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, and chapter 7, verse 7. And what we're going to do today is learn some of what Jesus revealed to his disciples and the crowds regarding prayer because he provided some intriguing insights as well as some practical applications for us to follow. In fact, the principles he taught and modeled are straightforward and fairly easy to understand. But don't mistake easy to understand with easy to apply. Because like most kingdom practices, they're usually not. Now, as far as I can tell, the Bible does not contain an entire book or letter on everything we need to know about prayer. And that's because the Bible isn't arranged by topic. Therefore, We have to take notice when prayer mysteries are revealed in both the Old and the New Testaments, and we especially want to pay close attention when it's Jesus who does the revealing. After all, he's the only one who's ever experienced prayer from both sides, as both God and man. In other words, he more than anyone not only understands the unseen mysteries of prayer from a divine perspective, but he also understands the practical challenges and applications of prayer from a human perspective, because he's done both. But before we examine the words of Jesus, let me begin by saying that prayer is simply two-way communion or communication with God. And it's true that prayer can be accomplished in a variety of different ways and for a variety of different reasons. For example, we can approach God day or night. We can approach him in desperation and urgency or with lamenting and grieving. We can approach him with rejoicing and thanksgiving. We can come expressing our needs and desires or interceding on behalf of others. We can come alone or in groups. We can pray verbally, silently, or with singing. And we can pray anywhere because God is everywhere. There really are no limitations on how, where, or when we can pray. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing. That being said, in our passages today, Jesus offers a specific approach to prayer And we don't want to neglect it for some very good reasons, as we'll shortly discover. So if you have your Bibles or your phone apps and you want to open them to Matthew chapter 6, if not, the words will be projected on the screen behind me, wall behind me, or screens beside me. Beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus said this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door. 
Pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then flipping over to chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Please join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to present your word to your people. I ask for the filling of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that my words would be God-empowered words and that they would not only fall on listening ears but obedient hearts. Father, I've done what I can do. Now we all need you to do what only you can do. And so it's with great expectation that we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, sometimes before we can learn how to do something correctly, we must first be taught how to avoid doing it incorrectly. And Jesus used that teaching method here in verse 5 when he said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Jesus began by pointing out the wrong way to approach prayer. And sadly, he felt compelled to use the local religious leaders as a sermon illustration of what not to do. To begin with, and as Ross pointed out last week with regard to giving, their motives were all wrong. And their motives were wrong because their hearts were filled with selfish ambition. Because they valued admiration from men more than relationship with God. In effect, Jesus said their prayer efforts amounted to nothing more than a religious production for the purpose of gaining viewers and subscribers. And Jesus again labeled them hypocrites for doing so. Because they had this habit of presenting themselves as God's religious elite, when in reality, they were cronies for Satan, ever so blind to their own depleted spiritual condition. In fact, Jesus would later accuse them by saying, For you are the children of your father the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. And this should raise a caution flag for us. Because if we're not careful, we too can be seduced into the same trap by producing our own religious performances for the purpose of impressing others rather than pleasing God. And the devil will grease that slide all day long if we let him. Don't rob God of his glory because he's on record as saying he ain't sharing it with nobody, including you and me. Only he used proper English when he said that. (laughs) And as a side note, you should never imitate your church leaders anyway, because we're just people. And too many of us have fallen by the wayside over the generations. Instead, strive to become like Jesus. He's your model, and model your life after him, because he'll never betray you, And he's always moving in the right direction. Besides, that's what scripture teaches, and that's what our fifth DNA here at ACAC emphasizes. So Jesus began with how not to pray. 
What then is the right way to pray? Verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus presented a lot in this short passage. And although you may not see it yet, there's a gold mine of prayer secrets to be uncovered and harvested. And I see two overriding but complementary purposes for this approach to prayer. And both are exceedingly important if we're ever going to become all that God desires us to be. And they are relationship and transformation. Let's talk about relationship first. Prayer is a way to nurture, develop, and grow a deep, abiding love relationship with the living God of the universe. After all, that's why he created us to begin with. And Paul revealed that truth in Acts chapter 17 when he said this, From one man, God created all the nations throughout the whole earth. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. The bottom line is this. God created us for relationship, to seek him and find him, so that we can know him. He simply desires a personal love relationship with each and every person he created, including you. And that's why his greatest commandment is to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love him more than anything or anyone else. In fact, that's why he created us in his image, different from the animals, so that we could not only relate to him, but also interact with him. And that's not all, because he even described his ultimate association with us as a bride and groom relationship. I have no idea what that means, but I know it's intimacy. Jesus is the bridegroom, and we are his bride. And we're currently preparing ourselves for his imminent arrival. He didn't create us merely to observe us. He created us for loving, abiding relationship with him for all of eternity. It can't be for any other reason. Because the Bible says he doesn't need anything. He either created us for his amusement or he created us for relationship. And I don't think he went to the cross for amusement. More than anything else, the Christian faith is primarily about a love relationship between creator and creation. It's about the condition of our hearts toward God. It's not about religious activity. The Pharisees aggressively pursued religion rather than relationship, and as a result, they forfeited God's purpose for them. Look, if you get this one thing right, everything else will fall into place. He wants your heart first, all of it, and if you give him that, he'll help you accomplish the rest. So, in this passage, Jesus describes 
a quiet place of solitude where we can retreat without the likelihood of distractions in order to abide alone with him. Look again at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. First of all, notice that Jesus said, when you pray, not if you pray. Prayer for followers of Jesus is not optional because he knows we need to remain connected to the vine. And if we don't, we're going to die off. I advise you not to approach prayer as a kind of religious activity or duty. If you do, you'll always struggle to want to do it and pursue it, let alone find fulfillment in it. Instead, think of prayer as an invitation to relationship and transformation with the one who created you and desires for you to know him intimately. The more I read the Gospels, the more I clearly see that Jesus offered invitations to relationship and transformation. And we get to choose whether we want to accept his invitations or not. Now this is where it gets really interesting. Because the Greek word translated pray in this passage is probably not what you think it is. It actually means this. To interact with the Lord in a transforming way. Whoa. Have you ever thought about prayer like that before? I mean, come on. You thought prayer was about asking for stuff, right? What Jesus is saying here is if you accept his invitation to spend time alone interacting with him, then over time, he will transform you. Then Jesus went on to describe the place of relationship and or transformation. He said this, go into your room and close the door. The intent here is to be alone with him, one-on-one -on -one with no intruders. This is the secret place of intimacy with him. It's the place where interaction and transformation occurs. And the Greek word translated room here means this, an inner room, a secret chamber, or a closet. I call mine the prayer closet. The Amplified Bible translates it this way, your most private room. Jesus was describing a quiet place of private solitude, a secret chamber free of noise and distraction where you can abide and interact with the Father alone. What an invitation. The living God of all creation not only sees you, but he invites you to spend time interacting with him alone. But here's one of the many challenges. Quiet places of solitude are countercultural because we've been conditioned by the culture to live with constant noise and distraction. But the ongoing barrage of noise is not from God. It's from the enemy. And C.S. Lewis agreed. In his classic work, The Screwtape Letters, senior demon Uncle Screwtape calls the devil's realm a kingdom of noise. 
and he claims, we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. And John Mark Homer wrote this. He said, the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input we need the most. The ideal place of abiding with God is a quiet, restful, intimate place of solitude where you go meet with him alone, free of noise and disruptions. And depending on your season of life, you may have to fight hard for those times and places, but you can't afford not to. Jesus offered a similar invitation in Mark's gospel. He said this, Come away with me privately to a solitary place and let us rest for a while. Regular, consistent time alone with God over the long haul will transform your life. King David was also familiar with the secret place when he said, For God alone my soul waits in silence. Now, sometimes the only solitude you'll find on a given day is alone in your car on the way back and forth to work. If that's you, don't waste the opportunity. Make that your private chamber. Resist the urge to flip on the radio and abide quietly with him. Sometimes you got to take what the defense gives you. Now, time alone with God is a recurring theme in the Gospels. And Jesus often referred to it as abiding. For example, he said, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then just a few verses later, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, the Greek word translated abide in these passages simply means to be with, to remain with, to be with Jesus, to be with the Father. His invitation is for you to be with him, not only as an expression of your allegiance and devotion to him, but also your developing love for him. And I say developing because no matter where you are today, you can make the choice to abide with him and as a result, grow in your love for him. Here's another invitation. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. His desire is for you to be where he is, to abide with him. Once you begin to see these invitations in the Gospels, it's hard to unsee them because they're everywhere. I'm convinced that we grow in our faith in two ways, in alone time with God and in community with others. Many tend to focus on one or the other, but we need both. To forsake one or the other is to stunt your spiritual growth, whether you realize it or not. Everybody needs a prayer closet, a secret inner chamber, a place of solitude where you can be alone with God and enjoy abiding relationship with him and to experience his transformation. So I recommend that 
You designate a secret place in your home or somewhere where you can be alone with him regularly. You may have to get creative and designate times when kids and others are in bed or not around. Now, it's important to point out here that Jesus not only taught this method of prayer, but he also routinely modeled it, and he was a pretty busy guy. He often left his disciples and the crowds behind to be alone with his father, and many times even late at night after everybody went to bed. In fact, I count 12 separate occasions in the Gospels where Jesus slipped away to be alone with his father. Luke tells us Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And check this one out. One day he even left the crowds to go pray alone. Perhaps in our passage today, Jesus is inviting us to share in the secret treasures that he himself discovered. After all, the invitation is to model our life after his And we can only achieve that by actually doing the things that he did. So let's move on and pick it up in the second part of verse 6. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Look, when you show up and make an effort to be alone with God, you can be sure that he knows it. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. So if you come to him begrudgingly, he knows it. If you don't show up at all, he knows that too. But if you come with expectation and anticipation, he's aware. He knows it. Nothing gets by him, whether good or bad. He sees everything, and he's extraordinarily patient. He'll wait. In fact, I've compiled 68 Bible passages confirming that fact that he sees and knows everything. If you flip me an email, I'll be glad to send them to you. (laughs) And so how does God reward us? Well, I'll agree with Ross that I don't fully understand what the eternal version of those rewards will be. I'll just trust that they're going to be really good. That being said, I do believe God dispenses rewards in this lifetime. Because Hebrews 11.6 tells us he rewards those who what? Earnestly seek him. Now, his rewards are probably not wealth and fame. Because those things will just destroy us and they're going to burn up in the judgment anyway. But I think he rewards us with something much more valuable. Things that will help us navigate this evil world and help us make it to the finish line intact. Things that will help us bear kingdom fruit. Things like more of his peace and more of his confidence and more of his contentment and more of his rest and more of his power and more of his presence and more of his transformation in our lives. Things that money can't buy. And again, here's where things get interesting. Remember the Greek word for prayer I posted earlier? to interact with the Lord in a transforming way? Well, this is how the Greek literally defines transforming in this sense. To interact with the Lord by switching human wishes and ideas for God's wishes and ideas as he imparts 
divine persuasion. Wow. What an enticing invitation to the prayer closet. That definition describes something supernatural he's willing to do in the hearts of those committed to meeting with him in the secret place over the long haul. Kind of makes you want to run home and get in the prayer closet, doesn't it? Look, I think the takeaway here is that the more time we spend abiding alone with him in the secret place, the more opportunity we have to receive his impartation of divine persuasion, where his ideas become our ideas. I don't know about you, but I want that because my ideas just get in the way of his ideas. Look, we live in a culture that's victimized by anxiety and depression and fear and stress and suicidal thoughts, just to name a few. It's a culture of death, and the church is not immune. What if the remedy for those things, at least in part, can be found in the secret place? the inner chamber of abiding transformation with a God who knows exactly what you need. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Another invitation, by the way. And another passing thought before we close. Don't neglect the Father. Jesus said this, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, this may seem incidental, but I think it has some merit. I know Jesus gets most of the attention, and for obvious reasons, and he should. But remember the Father in your prayer and alone times as well, because he hasn't retired, and he's still very active. In fact, when his disciples asked him how to pray, Jesus taught them to direct their prayers to the Father. I get it. Jesus was the physical manifestation of the Father. He and the Father are one. He said, yo boys, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They are, in essence, the same exact God. Nevertheless, in some mysterious way beyond our comprehension... They remain distinct persons of the Godhead. In fact, if you take time to look, you might be surprised how many times the Father is mentioned in the New Testament. It's a lot. So praying to both or all three at times is not only appropriate but recommended. John wrote this in his second epistle. He said, grace, mercy, and peace, which comes from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son of the Father. It's not an either-or, it's a both-and. So just something to consider as you evaluate your prayer times. Well, I said at the beginning that I saw two overriding yet complementary purposes for this approach to prayer that Jesus invites us to in this passage today. And they are relationship and transformation. Relationship with him and transformation by way of divine persuasion where his ideas and wishes become our ideas and wishes. 
That being said, there is one more important ingredient that makes the prayer closet work, and that is persistence. Jesus said in chapter 7, verse 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. God seems to reward persistence, even shameless persistence. Go home and read the parable of the persistent friend in Luke chapter 11, and you'll see what I mean. In other words, we got to choose to stick with the prayer closet over the long haul. Now, I mention this because many try abiding with him in this way, but they become discouraged and quit after a while because nothing seems to happen quickly. But I got news for you. (laughs) Transformation is not fast. It is usually a slow process measured in years, not weeks or months. So we have to persist over the long term. And one other thing, don't forget to ask God to help you. He has a vested interest in helping you learn how to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He knows how it needs to be done, and it is a learning process. It doesn't come naturally to love somebody that you can't even see, right? Ask him to give you a heart that yearns for him and desires to love him above all else. After all, that's why he created you. How many in here watch The Chosen? You see your hands. Okay, good. Not enough of you. You all need to get on this thing, okay? There's three seasons out there and a fourth one to come. One of my favorite scenes is in season two, episode six, where Mary Magdalene sort of backslides for a period of time. And, and she, she leaves the group and she goes back. And, and Jesus sends Simon Peter and Matthew to go retrieve her. And, and she comes back and she stands before him. And she's, she's just dripping with shame and condemnation, which, by the way, is not of God. And she says this to him. She said, you redeemed me, and I threw it all away. And he said, wouldn't be much of a redemption if you could lose it in one day, would it? She went on to say, but I can't live up to it. And he said, you don't have to live up to it. Just give me your heart. Give the Father your heart. If you do that, everything else will come in time. Look, beloved, all he wants is your heart. Don't run the rat race that's in the church also. Give him your heart. Warning, though, he wants all of it, right? Partial submissions need not apply. He wants it all. And he'll help you accomplish the rest. He'll help you do the hard stuff. Look, to help you in this, for anybody that's interested, another invitation. I've posted a document on our website. It's on our adult ministry growth group page at the bottom. It's called Steps to Abiding. It's a document that I've compiled over time uh, from things I've learned from Scripture, from other people, and from my own experiences as I pursue God in loving, abiding relationship. 
If you're interested, if anything I said today inspired you, go download that document, print it off, and I would encourage you to wrestle with it, right, in your alone time with God. Go through the steps. They're not all easy. Like I said at the beginning, it's not easy to follow Jesus. If it was easy to follow him, everybody would do it. But it's not. But there is a way. And he'll help you do it. Also, I recommend that you wrestle through some of those things in community. Find some like-minded friends. Not everybody wants to go on that journey, but find one or two that, that does want to and, and work through it with them as well. So, Oh, and I also include a bonus at the end. Uh, two sections of compiled scripture verses. One that speaks to abiding with God. And then another one for knowing and loving God verses. When you read them all together, it's pretty compelling and impactful. So it's out there should you want it. Hey, the prayer room's open today. Go pray with somebody if you want to do that. Would you please stand and I will send you off with a blessing and a benediction. As you go today, go in the peace and in the encouragement and the contentment and in the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In the days and weeks ahead, may you find sweet times of abiding with him in the secret place. And may you experience his divine impartation of divine persuasion as you seek him during these times. And may you become all that he intends you to be. Have a great week loving him and serving the Lord.